Hello and welcome back to the Killer Kind Podcast. It's your host, Stephanie Miller, as always. I hope everyone had a great Memorial Day weekend. I ended up having some mic issues when I went to record this episode the first time, so I apologize that it's a little bit late, but everything is good now. With that said, I do have a different kind of episode for you today. Not my typical episode I like to put out, but let me explain. So I heard about this first case about a month ago or so, and I put it on my list to cover after the Lululemon case, which was my last two episodes. If you haven't heard that, I highly recommend to go check it out. That one was wild. But then when I sat down and did my research on this first case, I quickly realized there was zero information on this one. And I mean zero, barely any information at all. However, I think this story really needs to be shared because I think that it can be solved. It really is just going to take that one person coming forward to bust this case wide open. And I know that this podcast reaches people all over the world. So my dream would be that the right person hears this and can help solve this case. And that's always the goal when I try to cover disappearance cases like this one. That it sparks a memory or is heard by the right person and they can help bring the case to justice. Now, since there was barely information on this case, I knew I couldn't do a full 30-minute episode on it. So I did add a second case as well to help, one, make the episode longer, but also it's another one that is just odd and I think could easily be solved if the right person comes forward with what they know. And just as equally as important to be heard and shared. So enough of my rambling, <laughs> let's just go ahead and dive into the first case of today's episode, The Mysterious Disappearance of John Weisbecker. John Weisbecker was born on December 30th, 1987. He grew up in Ocean City, New Jersey and graduated from Ocean City High School in 2006. He started working in the restaurant world when he was just 16 years old and continued to work for different restaurants. John Weisbecker disappeared from his home at 205 Asbury Avenue in Ocean City, New Jersey on Wednesday, March 11, 2009. He was just 21 years old and he had been recently laid off at his restaurant job due to it being slower time for restaurants in that area. But he was due to start a seasonal job at another restaurant soon. And since he had worked in the restaurant world for a long time, he knows the ups and downs of this kind of work. But he enjoyed it, and his goal was to eventually go to culinary school and own his own restaurant one day. He actually had planned to start culinary school in the fall of that same year. At the time of his disappearance, John was living with his mother, Jen Powell, and his little sister, Jordan, both of whom, or all of whom, had a very close relationship. He was also known as a pretty popular guy. His mom and people that knew him said he had a lot of friends. He was just a fun-loving and all-around great guy and didn't seem to have any enemies. That's why what took place on March 
11, 2009 just doesn't make any sense. It was just like any other day. His sister was gone to school, his mom was gone to work, and John was at the house. At 11 a.m., the local postal worker brought some mail to the house and John accepted it from him. And this would actually be the very last person to see John Weisbecker alive. Right at an hour later, his mom, Jen, tried to call her son's phone and it went straight to voicemail, indicating that it had been turned off. So everyone believes something definitely happened to John within that hour of time. His mom arrived home from work at 8.30 p.m. that night and John was gone. His car, a Lincoln LS, was still in the driveway, though. The stack of mail that he had gotten from the postal worker was lying on the kitchen counter, including his unopened unemployment check. And this is where it gets interesting. Immediately walking into the place, Jen could tell that there was some sort of a struggle maybe that had occurred here. Kitchen stools were pushed out of place, and some of the furniture had even been turned over. However, nothing else appeared to be out of the ordinary. But Jen being mom, mother's intuition, if you will, knowing something bad had happened to her son, Jen reported John missing at around midnight that night. Detective Daniel Lancaster at the Ocean City Police Department took the initial report and has been the lead in the investigation ever since. And honestly, there is little to no information on the investigation itself, which is why I mentioned earlier I'm not able to get a full episode out of this case. But again, it needs to be shared. So what do we know? We know that the police believe John disappeared between mid-morning and early afternoon and hasn't been seen or heard from since. Detective Lancaster said they are cautious in describing what may have happened in order to not compromise the investigation. As I mentioned earlier, nothing appeared to be out of the ordinary besides the furniture kind of moved around and some pieces overturned. So really meaning no sign of robbery being a motive here. However, Detective Lancaster made it clear that they do believe he is missing involuntarily meaning they don't believe he left his house at his own will. What's troubling here in this case is that John's car was left untouched in the driveway, and everyone who knew John said that he drove everywhere. It didn't matter where he was going, even if it was just a couple blocks away, he was going to drive. So this tells us that he obviously didn't take off on foot, by himself because he just felt like it or if he had somewhere to go or maybe he was trying to disappear on his own. Also, his wallet and cell phone have never been located, yet there has been no activity on his cell phone nor has there been any activity at all on his bank account. It's also uncharacteristic of John to leave without warning or to have his cell phone even turned off. Plus, there was a check for John, again, like I said, left on the kitchen counter. Money obviously wasn't the motive here. At the time of his disappearance, John was described as being a 21-year-old white male, 6 foot 2 inches tall. He had brown hair, blue eyes, and weighed 180 pounds. 
He had a mustache at the time, as well as multiple tattoos on his torso and arms. In 2014, John's sister Jordan made a Facebook post that said it had been five years that she last saw her brother. She said, it feels like yesterday we were playing Guitar Hero in the living room. She said, I miss you more than words can describe, and I'm never giving up. Somebody commented on that post and said that John had a buzz cut when he disappeared. I know that's kind of random to point out, but I feel like when you first look at pictures of John or if you Google pictures of John Weisbecker, you'll see that in most of them, he has a ton of dark hair, but there are like one or two that you may find where he has a shaved head. And I will include several pictures of John on today's Instagram post for the podcast episode. So be sure to check that out so you can see what he looked like around the time that he disappeared, as well as kind of painting a picture of what he may look like today. John's sister Jordan is now 30 years old, married, and has a couple of children. And that's how his mother, Jen Powell, says that she continues on for them. She said, I have a four-year-old grandson who's named after John and a two-year-old granddaughter. He missed his sister's graduation, her marriage, her two babies. She said that every milestone event is a little bittersweet because John is not there. In 2016, Ocean City Police turned to their Facebook page to begin soliciting tips about John's disappearance. In addition, they announced a $50,000 reward is being offered for information about his whereabouts. It's been 13 years now since John was last seen or heard from. The FBI did step in many years ago now and continues to offer the $50,000 reward. And an agent working on the case said, quote, The circumstances of his disappearance have led law enforcement officials to believe that Weisbecker may not have left his home voluntarily. His whereabouts remain unknown. Detective Lancaster says, quote, We know there are several people that can provide us with information that would lead us to John's whereabouts. John's mom also believes there are people out there that have answers. During an interview with CBS3 Philly, she pleaded, Someone, somehow, let me know what happened. Anything, just so we can have a little bit of peace in knowing anything. She said, I mean, he's missed so much that we would just really like to know. His sister hurts and I hurt. Just knowing would make so much of a difference. And when I first heard about this case, it was actually in like a, like maybe a 20 minute video from a YouTube channel called Top 5 Unknowns, I think is the YouTube name. And it was like a five minute brief description of the case. And somebody actually commented on that. Someone by the username Mr. Hand. He said that he actually knew John and went to school with him. He said every year on the anniversary of his disappearance, the local papers and news channels run his story and appeal for more information. But so far, there has been nothing concrete. He went on to say that it is scary because Ocean City is usually a safe place. If you have any information about the disappearance of John Weisbecker, you're asked to contact one of the following. 
the Cape May County Major Crimes Unit, the Ocean City Police Department, Crime Stoppers, Cape May County, or the FBI Newark Division. I've listed all of the phone numbers for you in the show notes. You can also contact your local FBI office, which I've also put a link to the list of the FBI locations across the U.S. in the show notes as well. If you're local to Alabama, like I am, we have one in downtown Birmingham. Or you can also contact the nearest American embassy or consulate. There's a long list of offices all over the world that I've included as well. So, what are your thoughts? Many people obviously question the mailman who last saw John. That's a given. But I know that's probably the first person police would have questioned. And my first theory is since Detective Lancaster outright said that he believes there's people, meaning multiple people, that know something. That tells me that they know that there are multiple people involved here. And I could be reaching, but that is the vibe that I'm getting. And then that leads me to wonder, were there other people at the house with John at the time the mailman came to deliver the mail? Did he have a story to tell the police and they just aren't releasing that to the public? That's honestly my theory on this is that they know there's other people. They know there's multiple people because somebody saw something. And I'm guessing the mailman probably didn't know like their names or didn't know who these people were, but said there's other people at the house. So I'm hoping that by sharing this story that more people will share it and hopefully we can get some answers soon for this one. So be sure to share today's episode post if you're able to. I know a lot of people say they don't follow the Instagram or they don't um, get on there and, and do anything. But on this one, I highly request that you do at least share it to get the word out about John's case. And I hope that we can get some answers for this sweet family. And also, too, just let me know if you have any other theories, any other ideas as to what might have happened to John. This next case is troubling, to say the least. It's about a mom who was seemingly abducted from her own front yard while her two kids slept in the house. So, just like the last one, there's not a ton of information here, but I will give you everything that we know. So, let's jump into the abduction of Nefertiri Trader. Nefertiri, or Nephi as her friends and family called her, was a beautiful mother of three who was last seen at about 4 a.m. on June 30th, 2014 by a neighbor in the Saddlebrook community off Christiana Road in Newcastle, Delaware. Nephi was on medical leave from Christiana Hospital where she worked due to a recent procedure that she had had. Nephi's mom, Denise, started to worry after multiple calls made to her daughter's phone throughout the day went unanswered, which was very uncommon, very unlikely for Nephi and her mom. They would speak daily, if not a couple different times throughout the day. 
Denise sent Nephi's cousin to her daughter's home at around 6 p.m. that night. Her cousin found a pack of Newport cigarettes, an untouched cup of coffee on the front porch, along with an unopened condom on one of the chairs sitting on the front porch. There was oddly a loaf of bread in the front yard that looked as if it had been stepped on. Nephi's flip-flops were perfectly placed near the front door as well. Knowing something bad had happened, Denise reported her daughter missing that night. The Newcastle Police Department conducted a canvas of the neighborhood trying to find anyone who had information about Nefertiri. Now, as I mentioned earlier, two of her children were in the home at the time of her disappearance. They were both in bed at the time. However, her 17-year-old son that he was woken up by a noise at around 4 a.m. It's unclear what kind of noise it was. He could have described this to police, but I couldn't find that information anywhere when I was researching. Now, the son said he was woken up and ended up going downstairs to see where the noise had come from, but he didn't see anything and he didn't hear anything again. So he just ended up going back to bed. Now, a neighbor by the name of Joe Robinson, who lived across the street, would later tell investigators that he woke up around 4 a.m. when he heard what he thought to be a scream. He looked outside the window in his second floor bedroom and could see Nephi's porch light on, lighting up her front yard. And that's when he saw a man who appeared to be dragging or pulling a woman, who he believed to be Nephi, across the yard. Then the man puts her in the back seat of Nephi's own silver Acura. Joe said he wasn't sure what was going on, so he decided to go outside to take a look. But by the time he made it downstairs, the car and Nephi and the mysterious man were all gone. Nephi was never seen again. Joe claimed that he didn't call 911 because he thought she was being taken to the hospital. I haven't found anything explaining why he thought she was ill and being taken to the hospital, but some have speculated that maybe he knew Nephi had a recent procedure and just kind of assumed maybe she had complications from that, but that can't com- that can't really be confirmed. We're not sure if Nephi really knew this neighbor well or not. But he did say that he definitely regretted not calling the police ever since. Joe said that the unknown man was wearing a dark hoodie and tan shorts. Unfortunately, he didn't get a good look at this guy, so he was unable to provide any physical description. Now again, there is not much information when it comes to the actual investigation. However, Nephi's family, along with the investigators, believe she went to a nearby 7-Eleven store just a few minutes away from her house, shortly before 4 a.m., and was likely attacked and abducted from her yard when she arrived back home. It's clear that she made it to this 7-Eleven store. There is security footage of Nephi inside the store buying two cups of coffee, a loaf of bread, and a pack of cigarettes. And we know that she made it back to her house without issue. However, her family believes that she never actually made it back inside her house. 
and some questioned why she was up so early, but apparently friends and family have said that since she was off on medical leave, she didn't have a very normal sleep schedule, so she would stay up pretty much all night or into the wee hours and then sleep more so during the day. And one thing I want to point out here too is some of the confusion surrounding what was found at the scene or found in her front yard and some of the things that she had bought at the store. So first I'll say we know the loaf of bread to me kind of confirms that she didn't make it inside the house. So we know she bought it at the convenience store. Cigarettes are accounted for. She bought those at the store. Then there's two different things here. One people questioned why she bought two cups of coffee. I saw where her mom had said that she would typically buy coffee for her daughter for her to have because she was a coffee drinker as well. But everything that I read only only said there was one cup of coffee found at the scene or found around this front porch. So what happened to the second cup of coffee? Maybe that just wasn't mentioned and that has nothing to do with anything, but I'm just pointing it out that she bought two cups of coffee and there was only one mentioned being found at the scene. And then lastly, personally, one of the more troubling items found was the unopened condom found just sitting on the front porch chair. We know that Nephi did not buy that condom at the store. So where did that come from? Why is it there? It's To me, it's just a little unnerving. But let's move on. So that's pretty much all that was found at the scene. However, we know because of the neighbor that her car was used in the abduction. So police put a bolo out on the silver 2000 Acura CL with the Delaware license plate 404-893. And the unfortunate part of this is that it had been 16 hours or so by the time police were made aware that she was abducted in her own car. So that car could have been anywhere. And Police really received no reported sightings of Nefertiri's car or her. Police did receive security footage from a nearby Verizon store that showed Nephi's car driving by shortly after the time of the abduction. Police haven't indicated if it showed who was driving the car or if it could be seen who was in the car, but it was clear that nothing really came from that sighting. Her case received very little media attention and few tips were called into the police station. Three months into the investigation, detectives admitted that they had no strong leads and had not been able to develop any solid information about the abduction. They said they couldn't see any apparent reason as to why someone would target Nephi. They did have confidential informants placed around town, and even they didn't hear any solid rumors or anything that pointed to who or what could have happened to Nephi. With that said, though, there has been some rumors around the neighborhood that Nephi's mom has heard. She said that other neighbors of Nephi's believe Joe Robinson, the eyewitness, 
knows more than what he has shared to police. His story has changed a few different times since that initial statement. One time later, he claimed to see the man hit Nephi over the head and then drag her to the car, which obviously contradicts his statement that he just thought she was sick and being taken to the hospital. Then another time, he claimed that the reason he woke up in the first place is because Nephi's porch light turned on, and that's what woke him up, not the supposed scream that he had heard. Denise Trader thinks that this neighbor definitely knows more than what he's letting on, and maybe that first statement isn't exactly what happened, but for some unknown reason, he's not giving the full story. And despite his story changing, social media really just gave him a hard time about not calling police. Always call the police, guys. You can remain anonymous. Even if you think it's nothing, even if you think, oh, it's probably this or probably that, just report it and be done with it. At least there's somebody out there saying what could have happened or saying what they saw that could help put pieces together later, if God forbid it is a situation like this. Rewards totaling $30,000 were announced in 2015 by former Newcastle County Police Chief Colonel Elmer Setting and FBI Special Agent in Charge Steve Vogt. The FBI are offering $20,000 for tips leading to an arrest, and county police are offering up to $10,000 for information in the case. Shockingly, on March 28, 2017, police announced they had now presumed Nefertiri Trader to be deceased. This came as a shock to family and friends because they believe Nephi is still alive. Typically, after five years, someone can be pronounced legally dead, even if there is no body or evidence pointing to that. So, for this to have happened within that time frame before that five-year mark, there must be evidence police have found pointing to that possibility, although they have not announced what led them to make that decision. And just like with the previous case, investigators want to keep their findings confidential until they catch whoever is responsible. That way, they can verify who the killer is based on that person knowing details that only the police would know. Denise Trader still believes that her daughter is out there despite what the police say. She believes that she's being held captive maybe somewhere because she has been told that there has been sightings of her daughter in surrounding cities. But none of these sightings have ever been confirmed as being Nefertiri. Again, there is a $30,000 reward being offered for information on this case. At the time of her disappearance, Nefertiri is described as an African-American female, 5 foot 6 inches tall, weighing around 125 pounds at the time of her possible kidnapping. She had brown hair, brown eyes, a scar on her left leg, tattoos on the right side of her chest, her left arm, and lower back. And she was last seen wearing a pink sweatsuit. County police continue to ask for tips to be given at 302-395-8110 or www.nccpd.com 
or through the department's Facebook page and through Delaware Crime Stoppers at 1-800-TIP-TIP-3333 or www.tipsubmit.com. And as I mentioned earlier, all of this information, all the phone numbers, the website links will be listed in today's episode show notes. So I know it's frustrating that there isn't more on either one of these cases, but it's also frustrating that there isn't anything on these cases. Police, I'm hoping, know way more than they're letting on. But as someone who just wants to like try to put the pieces together and like give theories and and help spread the word, it's just so hard that there is barely anything at all to share. But both of these cases, both John and Nephi, need attention, need their cases solved, need to be found, hopefully, and their families need answers. So please spread the word, especially if you're from any of these areas. Please spread the word. Maybe someone knows something or someone saw something on these particular days and you never know. The smallest thing could be huge. But as always, I want to know your thoughts on both of these cases. I'll be sharing photos of both John and Nefertiri on the podcast Instagram page today, as well as links and phone numbers that I've mentioned multiple times now in the show notes of today's episode. Also, be sure to leave a five-star review or share the podcast wherever you're able to, if nothing else, just to help spread the word about John and Nephi, as well as both of their families. I'll be back here in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, as always, stay safe out there. Bye, guys.